What if you could get really good grief support for just $3 a month? If you're navigating life after loss, but are a little tight in the money department, consider becoming a patron of Coming Back on Patreon. Listeners who support this podcast on Patreon receive weekly grief journaling prompts released every Monday morning and a once a month private grief hangout with me. If you're looking for an easy, inexpensive way to stay in touch with your grief, become a patron now at patreon.com slash Shelby Forsythia. Your monthly pledge helps me keep this podcast on the air and allows me to produce online courses, books, and very special grief experiences for grievers just like you. Get started now at patreon.com slash Shelby Forsythia. Thank you so much for listening. Hi there, and welcome to Coming Back, a podcast about coming back to life after death, divorce, diagnosis, and more. Today, I'm speaking with the author of Victoria's Heart, Kim Peacock, about the sudden and tragic death of her daughter, Nicole. We'll touch on the grief of the empty room when a child dies, the prayer Kim and her husband said to keep them from the pit of despair, and why grieving a loss is not necessarily a sign that you've lost your faith. I'm Shelby Forsythia, an intuitive grief guide and author who speaks, writes, and teaches powerful truths on grief and loss. My mom's death in 2013 set me on the path to becoming a lifelong student of grief, and I use what I learned to create a world where grief is welcomed, normalized, and even embraced. Because even through grief, we are growing. Let's get started. Kim Peacock is the author of Victoria's Heart, a book that details her handling of grief over the loss of her 17-year-old daughter in 1998. It also provides insightful advice for those seeking to support and help those who grieve. She is the CFO of Peacock Engineering, a cemetery construction company that specializes in cemetery improvement and expansion. Through her blog, Wild Victoria's Heart, and her book and speaking, Kim acts as a grief mentor to others in need. Her blended family includes a stepdaughter, a daughter with her current husband, and three adopted children. Kim has also had several grandchildren. She lives in Tennessee. Kim, thank you so much for joining us on Coming Back today to talk about your victorious heart, which is both a nickname for your daughter that you lost, but also the title of your book, which we'll talk about on the show later today. And I'll start you off where we start off all of our interviews here on Coming Back, if you could please share your lost story with us. I will. And thank you so much for having me. Uh, Our daughter, Nicole, passed away. It's 20 years. um, Well, it's getting close to 21 years ago. And we were on a family vacation in California, and we were enjoying time on the beach there in Pismo Beach, California. And we were riding ATVs and she got disoriented and uh, went off a cliff and we watched her fall to her death. And uh, our lives changed, obviously, that day. We, um, my husband gave her CPR on the way to the hospital, um, but the doctor did pronounce her dead. And um, we had to bury par- part of our hearts during that time. And we had to grow and learn the learn grief the hard way. In 
such a short amount of sentences, I I got this visual of just being there at mm-hmm. the moment it happened. Like that just came mm-hmm. so strikingly forward to my mind. And of course, I can't put myself physically into your experience, but I think there's a different shock that comes from being present as death is happening or as the mm-hmm. moment is happening versus being far away. And there's this element too, God, I mean, it's kind of, um, it's kind of gruesome. I'm getting this word for your husband of hands-on. Mm-hmm. I was hands-on yes. with her yes. before she died. And I wonder mm-hmm. how, as a mother, that closeness at the time of her death has affected you. It's affected me profoundly. It And that day was so, you go from this joyful time, enjoying the time together, laughing, even driving on the trip up there are plans to this instantaneous change and ripping. And it did feel like part of my heart was just ripped out. And, um, and, and still part of my heart is missing even today because she's part of me. And so that time was to even to have to walk through those days after that to go home. You know, we had to go through the process at the hospital. We had to go home and tell loved ones um, that Nicole was no longer with us. And those kind of things left impressions. Now, I don't remember a lot about the accident um, in, con- in a consecutive manner. Most of it is snapshots, which I know is a protective part of me. Um, my poor husband, he has so many things in his mind that he can't, you know, he can never get those images of his last few moments with Nicole out of his mind. But we have both kind of come to a point where we really focus on thinking about the good, the the happy memories, the, even the memories of that day, those precious little last conversations we had with Nicole. So just the striking contrast between just, just seconds, how your life can change and you, you can't be prepared for that. I think a lot of grieving parents face this unwelcome reality of the empty room of Mm -hmm. walking by their child's bedroom and they're no longer there. And your family essentially had to come home to that. And I, I think the place I want to go next is how did you break the news to others upon your mm-hmm. return home? I mean, is that something that maybe that's a snapshot as well? And there's not a real mm-hmm. tangible grip on that. But also, and this gives me chills to say, but how did you break that news to yourself? I think. First, breaking the news to myself came very gradually because it is not something that our minds, our minds are not created to absorb the reality of loss, especially that. And I, and I don't like to compare grief and loss, but for me, losing my child, my firstborn child was the reality. My mind was not capable of absorbing it all. At once, and so for me, bringing that news to myself was a gradual thing, um, and a gradual process and journey. We, everyone in our family, our immediate family was with us, except for our daughter Lisa. She had stayed home because she had a basketball tournament, 
And she actually was staying. My parents lived next door to us and she was staying with them. And one of the most agonizing things we had to do was break the news to her because they were only a year apart and her and Nicole were the very best of friends. They were inseparable. So we knew we didn't call um, because we knew we needed to be there with her. And, and we had a five hour drive home from the hospital. So there was so much agony on that way home. And we would stop and pray every once in a while because we just were so devastated and we had to, okay, get a grip. We need to be able to make it home and take care of the things we had. We had two other kids with us and they were, um, our son, Alex was only five. And then our daughter, Megan was 11 and they were with us and they both saw the accident. So we had, we had so many different aspects that we had to take care of. But when we, pulled up at my parents' house where Lisa was staying, I just had to force myself to get out of the truck because what we were about to do was to change Lisa's life forever. And to have to look at her and do that, it was just a very heartbreaking thing. And it was a snapshot, just being able to have to go and face her and break that news to her. And and again, before each conversation we had, we would pray. We'd say, oh, God, please just help us. Help us do this. Help us do this in a way that would honor Nicole, but also help these people because Nicole had so many people who loved her. And so just going through that process, it was probably one of the most difficult parts of those first few hours and first few days. We talk a lot on this show about what helps us come back from grief and loss. And I got through reading your book, Victoria's Heart, that God and prayer were very, very like cornerstone foundational elements of your coming back. And Mm -hmm. I wonder with all of these, with all of these prayers, which each, each of these times that you pulled off to the side of the road to pray on the way home Mm -hmm. and just the content of these prayers, help us, help us, help us, help us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I wonder when that help came, because it sounds like for you that it did come. What did Mm -hmm. it look like or how did it show up for you? It showed up in different ways, but I, but it would show up in just strength and it's hard to be, it's not a tangible thing that I can, you can reach out and touch, but it was the courage to take one more step when we would have to, you know, break the news. Or if we had to, even when we walked into the funeral home, you know, a couple days later and had to make preparations, I stood out there and I'm like, I cannot go in there. This I cannot go in there and make these preparations to bury my child. And we would just pray, God, just help us. And just exactly like you said, help us, help us, help us. Because we just needed courage to go through the next step. And and I pictured myself often standing around a pit. And I knew if I allowed myself to go in that pit, that it would be very difficult to ever get out. So we would pray, God, keep us from despair. Keep me. And my husband is so, such an amazing man. And he said, he would pray, God, keep Kim from going into despair. Keep us from going into despair because that, that pit of despair would have destroyed me. And so it would come in just little bits of courage 
He would come and give me the courage to walk in and do something I needed to do. He would give me the courage to not even think about and the wisdom to not think about the accident as much and picture it over and over and over in protection of my mind, but to think about Nicole wild and free and living and, and enjoying life. So it came as just like little um, bits of whatever I needed at the time. I think that's really beautiful and a sentiment of how grief works regardless of faith is literally the Mm -hmm. process of coming back is being fed these little teeny tiny bits and pieces as you crawl your way out of the hole. I was, I completely agree. And I think it's the moment by moment, the minute by minute and breath by breath that we have to go. Um, and, and really that it's just being able to move through our pain, no matter what we believe or how I did draw a lot of my courage and my strength from my faith, but all of us have to go through hard, difficult, devastating circumstances. And the only way we do it is not through the big picture, not tackling the whole thing, but just breath by breath. It's another way that we are turned on our heads by grief. I know that we had Rebecca Sofer and Gabby Berkner on, um, I believe in the summer of 2019 to talk about what they called going micro all of a sudden Mm -hmm. in grief, you can no longer think about the big picture, which is what most of us do kind of idly all the time. We're always kind of thinking about, you know, where we're going a couple weeks from now or a couple years from now or a couple decades from now, like what the future is and what we hope it to look like. And grief forces us to think on this teeny tiny little Mm -hmm. minutia scale that feels so slow and so mm-hmm. even powerless at times because really, I suppose for me, I, in my grief, my thought was, what good is the next moment going to do me? Like really, how mm-hmm. powerful is that? When in reality, that's where so much of coming back is contained, is in that next yes. teeny little moment. Exactly. Because if you think about the big picture, there is no hope, there is no energy, there is no strength in the big picture. Because really, we're hurting so bad when we're in grief, that we don't want to go the big picture. And, and it, and that is, I love that going micro, because it just brings it down to the very basic element of of how we survive and how we walk through these painful things and that it is so tiny. And it does sometimes feel like you're going through mud. Like I, everything is trudgery. Everything is hard, but then eventually you gain momentum and that's when uh, you do come back. And that's when you do start being able to, that's when I believe the healing actually starts. And I think to what your husband said too, about despair. It sounds like despair was very, very heavy on his mind. Mm -hmm. It's like, just don't Mm -hmm. let me go there. I think Mm -hmm. despair is what happens when we try to go too big in the aftermath of loss. Mm -hmm. And we try to see big picture and we try and see out towards the future and all we can see is blackness. And that's Mm -hmm. where despair comes from. We've talked about it a few times on this show um, Mm -hmm. about the roots of despair. I wonder, I wrote down this question as you were first speaking about breaking the news to your daughter who was still at home and as well as the two other kids you had in the car on the way home with you. And that is what did 
grief look like in your household? Because for as much as you all lost the same human, your relationship to her was entirely different for all of you. Yes. And and because everyone grieves in a different way, um, grief is such a personal journey that um, each one of them, it looked different in each one of their lives. For Lisa, um, the oldest under Nicole, she felt just lost. And her and Nicole shared a room. You talked about a few minutes ago, going back to the empty room. Well, her and Nicole shared that room. That's the room that they, and, and this might be hard. This might, I might choke up on this part because this is hard because that's the room that they shared their secrets. And that's the room that they giggled way into the night. And I'd go in and have to tell them, girls go to sleep, girls go to sleep. And they'd be in there giggling and talking. And, and um, that's where their dreams for their futures were born in that room. So for Lisa, she could not go into that room and stay like it was. So what we did for her, but she didn't want to take anything down either. It was just, she was stuck. So what we did is we put everything back in the room. We cleaned the room up. We put everything exactly the way it was. And we cataloged everything by taking photos of every little thing, every corner, every memory. And then we, I let Lisa um, keep out of whatever she wanted. And then we put everything away. We didn't make decisions right away um, about what to do with Nicole's things, but we just put it and then we, we redecorated the room so Lisa could live in that room. And now that was a three or four month process for me to say it sounds like it happened immediately, but it took a, a long time because it was part of her healing going through that. Where um, our youngest, Alex, we had adopted him from Russia a year prior. So he had only had a year to spend with Nicole. But for him, everything was black and white. It was very factual. A matter of fact, at the hospital, um, before we came home, my husband Larry took him into the restroom. And he asked Larry, he said, um, Papa, where is Nicole? And Larry said, well, she's in heaven, buddy. And, she, and Alex said, well, is she happy? And Larry said, yes, she's very happy. And for Alex, that's all he needed. He said, okay. And he went skipping out because he could picture Nicole happy. And then uh, Megan, who was 11 at the time, Nicole was her biggest advocate. She spoiled her rotten. So Megan lost somebody who watched out for her at school, who took care of her, who gave her advice about how to navigate weird relationships or hard relationships. So each one of them, they handled it differently. So we had to be very careful to honor Nicole's memory in each one of their lives in the way that they needed. It's a big task to undergo as a parent to help each of Mm -hmm. your children grieve and then also to be grieving yourself and then also to be maintaining a partnership with a Mm -hmm. husband, in your case, a husband. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I just want to take like 10 seconds to acknowledge that because that's hard. And that is the more and more I do this podcast, the more and more I recognize the luxury of my being able to be really selfish when my mom died, because like aside from the occasional check-in on my dad and my sister, I really didn't look Mm -hmm. out for anybody else's grief experience, but my own. And there's Mm -hmm. like a, 
a dark, indulgent luxury and being able to be really mm-hmm. selfish about your grief and just have it for yourself and not really have to, I get this image of looking, looking out beyond the porch of your house, mm-hmm. not really mm-hmm. having to do that. So I, I just want to appreciate you for that in this moment because it's mm-hmm. not easy. It's not. And, and thank you for acknowledging that. Um, and it's not, in, but in some ways there's two sides to that. In some ways it kept me going. Um, but in some ways it slowed down my healing. Um, because when you are able to embrace, and I really believe in our culture, we don't embrace, we don't allow people to embrace grief. Um, and I, because we want to fix it, we want to make it all better. And we, we don't like to look at grief and we don't like to look at sadness. And I think my belief is that you, to heal, you do need to embrace that. Um, you said that, that luxury, that luxury helped you to heal as you embraced that time in your life. So, but I had two sides of that. I, it did slow me down a little bit in the beginning, but it also kept me going. Does that make sense? Because I had a reason I had those kids and I didn't do everything perfectly. I wish I could say I had, I handled every conversation in just the perfectly healing (laughs) manner, but I didn't. And I wasn't always as, um, I wasn't always as intuitive as I needed to be because if they said they were fine, I thought they were fine and they weren't. And so we had to have those conversations. I had to start being really intentional at looking at, is she really doing okay? what's really going on and start looking in those um, in their lives a little deeper. But I do agree with you. I think that it's, it's just a hard thing. I wonder if you could give us an example of that because so many of us do what the grief recovery method would call Academy award-winning recovery, where mm-hmm. we, we say, I'm fine. We look pretty good. We put some makeup on like all this, all this other stuff to try and present to the world that we're doing well. So people either won't bother us or they won't see our pain. So I wonder mm-hmm. how you learned to see past the facade of I'm fine. In regards to the kids or just uh, the others in the family or sure. in regards to myself? Yeah. Uh, well, I think I both. Think, I, I think okay. um, with regard to your kids, intuiting it in other people, but also how you've kind of learned to dismantle it in yourself. I, I it, It's difficult because you don't really want to go there. Sometimes it's easy to stay on the level. So just, and when I say, I should say on the surface where you, you're just getting stuff done because eventually you have to go back to work and do all those things. The kids have to go to school. So sometimes it is easier to stay there, but the problem is there's no healing in that. So in regards to myself, there were times that I had to just stop. I had to stop whatever I was doing and I had to just make, make myself think about not doing life with Nicole, or I had to make myself look at the things that I was missing in with her. Uh, she, with her horse, she was really into her animals. So I would go out to the horses and I would just allow myself to go there. And that was dismantling for myself. Now with the kids, again, it was very different because they didn't want to go there either because it hurt. But I, with one of my daughters, what we did was we came up with a 
um, with a, like a score, I'd say, okay, are you a one, which you're do- doing really poorly? Or are you a five, which you're just doing okay? And she would be able, because we, she didn't want to, she didn't even know how to go through her emotions and verbalize them, but that could give me, okay, so you're a one or a two today. We need to, you know, we need to just talk about that and um, go there in that way. So you just have to stop though. And you have to look at them and you have to know, okay, they are missing Nicole in so many ways. And even just picture how they are missing her. You know, they, she would be, Nicole would be driving Megan to get a Slurpee at Seven Eleven right now. You know what? We're going to do that. Those are the kind of things that I would have to, I'd have to break it down to the very basic things that they were missing about her. I think that's really wise to put grief on a scale like that from one to five. I've never heard anything like that before. I think that's really clever and also kind of echoes the medical field too, of like on a scale of one to 10, where is your pain? Because we Mm -hmm. can't, we can't all verbalize pain, but we can understand a Mm -hmm. sliding scale of awful and doing all right. Um, Mm -hmm. I I just think that's remarkably clever. So grief growers, if you Mm -hmm. have kids or if you are surrounded by people who are also grieving like you are, that might be a good way to open up conversation, especially I'm thinking for like long distance too, like over text or over email, maybe if somebody's Mm -hmm. far away and you can't always, you know, look into their eyeballs, see their face, judge their energy or perceive it standing next to you is use this sliding scale of where are you today? And that Mm -hmm. eliminates that question of how are you and leaving it open-ended because you Mm -hmm. are, you are so many different things in the aftermath Mm -hmm. of loss. So I, I just Mm -hmm. think that's really wise. I wonder, um, whether or not we have these conversations on coming back every now and then about these religious ideas of grief and God not giving you more than you can handle or things being in a divine <laughs> plan. And I know because of reading your book that, that the church was heavily a part of your grief process. So I wonder if you ever ran into any of these kind of religious grief cliches and if so, <laughs> what you did about them, if anything. Oh, grief cliches. I and religious um, grief le- cliches. Uh, it when you are a person of faith, at whatever whatever your faith is, when when something like this strikes, you have to decide what you believed before is true in your pain. And so, just even about my relationship with God, it it became different. Um, but people when they would say things they would only say things because they wanted to help but they would say things uh like it is all in god's plan well i believe that god i don't understand god's plan god is way too big for me to understand him but if i could just anchor myself in him and in my faith, then he picked me up and carried me through. So those cliches of, you know, this is in his plan or he, Nicole's an angel in heaven or any of those things. Sometimes those were actually hurtful because I would feel like, no, you don't understand right now. God is just picking me up and carrying me. I don't understand what's happening. I don't understand why. 
And in the big scheme of things, it's, it's way too much for my mind to grasp, if that makes sense. So I just, it became very, my faith became very elemental as far as he just anchored me and carried me. And, and I do believe that Nicole is alive, more actually more alive in heaven than I am here. Um, and so that gave me a lot of hope during those times. So I, people only say things um, because they want to help, but sometimes the things that they say um, are hurtful. And I do believe even in religious circles, they may say things because they don't, some people don't think that grief, if you, if you're grieving, then you have that you have faith. They believe that that's a lack of faith if you're grieving. And I don't believe that. I believe that grief is a part of that loss. Part of experiencing life here is when you have separation from someone, it, you are going to grieve. And the Bible, and the Bible talks a lot about grief. So that's not even a biblical standard, if that makes sense. I just think you hit on a really big truth there (laughs) is that there are people in religious communities that believe that if you're grieving, you're no longer faithful or that you're no longer, you know, believing in God or that you've wandered Mm -hmm. from, from the Lord or, or whatever it is. Um, Right. And that's very closely aligned with society's idea of if you're grieving, you must not be doing well. You must not also be happy. You must not also, you know, have a joyful or a good life. I'm like, we can all be two things at the same time, but that's all exactly from the literature. Exactly. A hundred percent. Exactly. Grief and joy, it can actually coexist. And, and that's something I had to learn because grief just becomes a part of you when you lose someone. And, and when somebody would judge me because I was hurting because I lost my daughter and, and would, insinuate that I wasn't having enough faith in God. Well, you need to just put your trust. Well, that is not of God. God gives us these hearts. He created us this way and he understands our grief. And I really believe that he grieves with me. You know, we we're free will. We have free will on this earth and it's just part of our, our lives of of being born and losing and changing but that's all part of the cycle that he he created us with but to deny that is to deny the very heart that we've been created with mm, I, i've um i so resonate with that because so much of the work that i do revolves around this idea of to deny grief and grieving is to deny our own humanity and yes. and i think much of the world both in religious spaces and non-religious spaces have this expectation of you know 100% steadfast robot people that just mm-hmm. <laughs> that yeah, just do what exactly. they're told and they're obedient and everything always goes well and if you have the faith this is what that looks like and sometimes yeah sometimes god and grief and humanity just doesn't look like that so i i really appreciate you touching on that Thank you. And it's not, it's just kind of a messy business because it's not in our society. We like to have things in our nice little neat boxes and you can't put this in a neat little box because there's so much that we don't know and we don't understand 
but we want to explain it away. And people will say, oh, are you over it yet? Have you healed? And you just want to say, no, I'm not over it yet. But that doesn't mean that I'm not doing well, that I'm not growing and living it victoriously. That's why, you know, I have this mantra of my life of living with a victorious heart, because I can be missing Nicole, and I can still live with a victorious heart. This question just popped into my brain, but how have you become okay with not understanding? Well, that was a that was quite a journey because I really felt like I needed to figure it out. I figure I really felt like if I could just answer the reasons why that I would be okay. And if I could answer, okay, this is the reason Nicole went to heaven. This is the reason, you know, these good things came out of her death. And a lot of beautiful things have emerged in this, in this part of our lives. But it's just the word surrender, just to surrender and let go of the expectation that I have to know why. Because that that was weighing me down. And it's I just kind of picture letting this thing go that's around my neck and that's drowning me, this this why question or this understanding, and it's drowning me because I got it and I'm fighting and fighting against it and I'm treading water and I but I'm literally drowning. But all I have to do is let go. And once I let go, I can rise up and I can breathe and I can just say, okay, I don't understand. And there's so much freedom in that. And and that takes so much to under, to feel like we have to understand everything in life takes away so much beauty and mystery of life. And um, and I think that that's part of my healing, just to even know that I don't know it all, but I know that I got to be the mom of this beautiful, amazing, wild girl and I say wild in the most free, free sense of the world, word, and, and that was a privilege. And I don't understand that all of even why or how that all happened, but I know that I was privileged to do that. And so to embrace that and let go of the expectation of why and how and understanding everything. That was amazing. <laughs> mm, I wrote down... Freedom is acknowledging that I don't understand. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so fitting in grief because so many of your descriptions here today, and then also in your book as well, have this sense of I'm wading through mud. I've got this thing around my neck. I'm shackled down Mm -hmm. by this. I'm weighed down by this. And I think so much of what we crave in the aftermath of loss is a sense of freedom because grief is Mm -hmm. such a trapped experience to be in. Part of that Mm -hmm. relates to hopelessness and powerlessness and being out of control. And at the root of all that is, I just don't know why. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just so incredibly insightful. Mm -hmm. I think- Thank you. uh, The direction I want to go next is is your book. How, How this entire experience of the loss of your daughter turned into something that A, got written down, and then B, got turned into- a book that others can pick up and physically hold in their hands. When Nicole first passed away, we were just kind of lost. We didn't know how to do this grief thing. And so I would take a lot of 
courage from other parents who had walked the journey of child loss in front of us. And I would look at them and I would marvel, okay, they're doing it. They can, they survived. They are still breathing. They're walking around. And so it put a little seed in my heart to be that for other people. And I really just had this desire that I needed to let other people know that they would survive and they were not alone and they were not crazy. And that, and again, that beauty could emerge. And during the first few days, um, first few weeks after Nicole passed away, a friend of ours gave us a, a bookmark and it had her name, Nicole's name at the top and underneath it said Victoria's Heart, which is the meaning of her name. And so a little seed was planted in my mind, like, okay, I want that. That's a perfect word. To des- those are perfect words to describe Nicole. I want that to be the theme of my life, to live with a victorious heart. And part of living victoriously and living with a victorious heart is helping other people. So I started just even talking to other moms and and spending time um, even mentoring other moms through their grief. And I started writing things down. But as I wrote things down, at first I thought I had it figured out. But the more I wrote things down, the more I realized no, there's so much that I don't know about even my own grief. And so I just, this process seriously started about seven years ago where I thought, okay, I need to put this in some cohesive um, material to be able to help people and to help people to know again, that they're not crazy and they're going to make it. And just having to go through that journey it was a little bit like layers, you know, talking about the accident, having to go back there was painful, but it also added another layer to my healing. And even now, just these wonderful, amazing people that I talked to and that I've met through this journey, and even people I've met that have read the book, they will just say, oh, I just felt like somebody got me. I felt like somebody understood what I was going through. And I'm thinking that is my goal right there if they can just feel like they're not alone. And so that's just kind of the process and and how it happened. It was very organic, really, because it was just part of my healing and then part of my passion of helping others through their healing. I love this because going back to that concept of, I don't have to understand, like you don't have to understand Mm -hmm. to help other people walk Mm -mm the road of grief with you. You can just mm-hmm. both sit there and be like, we both don't understand together. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that that is so true. I love that. And that is so true. Just like, just to hug somebody, you don't have to say all these words of wisdom that you understand all of the mysteries of the universe and all of that, because I don't believe we can because the universe is too big for our minds and, and all of how everything works. But just to know, but the, the most precious thing we need is connection and to know that we aren't alone and we're loved and it's going to be okay. And we're going to, I'm going to, I don't understand. And I don't even know exactly how you're feeling, but I'm going to be walking every step with you. So you're not going to be by yourself. I wonder as we're getting closer to the end of our conversation, how Nicole and her legacy continue to show up in your life today. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. I have um, several um, people have named their children after Nicole. My oldest granddaughter 
is named after Nicole. And it's so fun to see just her growing and even having some of Nicole's attributes. People that I still get to hear stories about how Nicole touched people's lives. Nicole knew how to see the invisible people, those people who were struggling. And those people will contact me even still and say, you know, I just want you to see this story about Nicole. This this is what she did for me. And those things are just such blessings to my heart. We also have several scholarships, um, some to college, some to um, for different uh, horsey events that because she was so highly involved with horse um, activities, horse showing. So there, there's belt buckles and trophies um, that are memorable. Uh, memorialize her and honor her name. But in the the biggest sense of the uh, honoring Nicole is if I can live with that victorious heart, if I can live and help other people, to me, that is me being able to carry on a legacy that she started when she was with us. So that's very important is just to be able to live well now. That's just the place to let people know where they can find you as well as Victoria's Heart as well. Okay, I have a website. It's wildvictoriousheart.com. And there, there's links to purchase my book. You can get it on Amazon. Um, It's Target, Books of Million, all of the regular outlets. You can get it there. Um, It's in your books. You can... Find it in your local bookstores and just go up and ask. If they don't have it, they'll be happy to order it for you. I also have a blog uh, that I encourage people going through the broken places. And I post that a couple times a month. Also, there's uh, different opportunities to contact me for speaking or even just, I read every email. So if you're hurting and you just need to talk, um, you know, email me. I would love to um, just be there with you through that. I think that's really lovely and something that's so missing in the world today is people who are mm-hmm. actually willing to, to be there and be present. Yes. Yes. It's, uh, there were so many people that were there for me that that is something that's very important that I'm able to do for others. Um, I'm not going to have all the perfect words, but I will be there and walk, walk through those times with um, hurting people. So, um, wildvictoriousheart.com is my website. So you can email me through there and I would love to just have a conversation with you. Kim, I'm so glad to have had you here on coming back today. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Thank you, Shelby, for having me. It's been an honor. So that's all for this episode of coming back. Thank you so much to Kim Peacock for sharing the mic with me today to talk about the devastating loss of a child and her book, Victoria's Heart. You can find Kim's book, Victoria's Heart, at wildvictoriousheart.com. And of course, you can find that link in the show notes, Grief Growers. If you'd like to get online grief support for just $3 a month, pledge to support this podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash shelbyforsythia. You'll instantly unlock access to weekly grief journaling prompts and monthly live calls with me. 
A quick reminder that our next live grief support call is happening on Monday, March 30th at 7 p.m. Central Time, so I hope you'll join us for a full hour of grief support. Thank you so very much this week to Barbara and Rahel for supporting Coming Back on Patreon. I am so glad you're out there listening to this show, and your support means the world. If you liked what you heard today, subscribe to Coming Back on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and please tell a friend about Coming Back, because you never know what someone you love is going through. Thank you to Addie Goldstein, who composed our theme music. You can find me on Facebook at Shelby Forsythia Intuitive Grief Guide, Instagram at Shelby Forsythia, or simply shelbyforsythia.com. If you'd like to leave a question or comment for a future show, email me at shelby at shelbyforsythia.com. As always, my dear grief growers, it was beautiful sharing this space and time with you today. I see you. I'm proud of you and the work that you're doing in the world. And I love you. Because even through grief, we are growing. There are a lot of books about how grief changes us, but what about how grief changes our friendships? I'm working on a new book right now about how grief impacts our closest, longest, and most intimate relationships with others. If you'd like to share a story about how grief has changed your friendship, made it more awkward, or ended it entirely, please head to shelbyforsythia.com slash friends to fill out a submission form. You might just have your story published in my next book, All About Grief and Friendships. Once again, that link is shelbyforsythia.com slash friends with an S. Thank you so very much in advance for allowing me to read, witness, and learn from your stories on grief and friendship.